Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. On this week's episode, editors John Ralston and Elizabeth Thompson talk about the mostly mail-in election that took place this week and drew high turnout for a primary. John tells us about some races that have been called and other races that are still undecided as ballots continue to roll in. After that, I talk with interns Savannah Strott and Tabitha Mueller about the several thousand voters who decided to brave the lines and vote in person in Tuesday's election. At the end of the show, John and Elizabeth come back on to talk with me about the new HBO movie Bad Education, starring Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney. But before we hear from our guests on the show today, here are a few numbers regarding the coronavirus. As of recording this podcast on Thursday, June 11th, the number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Nevada exceed 10,400, and 459 people have died. Those numbers represent a slight uptick since the state began its reopening process last month and come as coronavirus numbers have risen across the southwest United States. Reported recoveries, meanwhile, do exceed 7,500 statewide, and the number of people tested now totals more than 193,000. For more data on the coronavirus, including a detailed infographic and regularly updated spreadsheet, head to the NevadaIndependent.com. And now on to a conversation between John and Elizabeth about the 2020 primary election here in the state. Hey, this is Elizabeth Thompson. I'm here today in my capacity uh, as an interviewer of our fearless editor and founder, John Ralston, just a couple of days now after the election. Uh, John, we spent four wonderful hours together uh, doing a live stream the night of the election. Uh, That's not unusual for us, but what was unusual is that we went off the air around midnight and had zero results to report. Uh, So we filled four hours with conversation about races and candidates. Most of the indie team showed up at one time or another. And for those of you who missed it, uh, you can check it out on Indie TV if you want to watch that in retrospect. John, uh, other than getting no results on election night, what what were the surprises uh, for you as we rolled into that next 24 hours and and saw some of the numbers coming in or or just in general on the, the day of voting? Well, first, uh, uh, let me say about that uh, four-hour show, which I've called the uh, four-hour Seinfeld show, a show about nothing uh, with, no, with no results. I, the most impressive thing about that show was our interns who were intrepid and came on several times and all did very well on camera, I thought, in explaining uh, what went on in their races. And I hope, I hope people realize, uh, uh, listening to this, that we have a very robust intern program here at the Indy, and I hope if, if people uh, want to apply that they will. Uh, it's one of the things that you, that you and I, I think are both very, very proud of. But I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent. So the, the election, as we are taping this podcast, is still going on, of course. Uh, in fact, they've only released about, um, I think if I remember correctly, about 310,000 ballots, and they're going to be, they're still coming in the mail, because if they're postmarked by five o'clock on election day, they could still be counted. I was told today they may have as many as 440,000, perhaps 450,000 ballots altogether. So it's, it's still only 70% or, or, or so of the ballots that have, been, that have been counted. There's a lot more to count. So things could change. We have called races. You can go on our election page and see the ones with a green check, check mark that we believe are, all, are over. Uh, I, I guess the... Uh, 
I wasn't that surprised that uh, the former wrestler, Dan Rodeheimer, appears to be winning the Congressional District 3 Republican primary for the right to face Susie Lee, who now has run into some national attention in a way that she didn't want to uh, by advocating for PPP loans and her husband's gaming company got a couple, whether that turns out to make that race more competitive than it should, we'll find out. And then Jim Marchant, the former assemblyman who nobody knew up in Carson City because he basically was invisible and didn't do anything. It's very conservative, got some endorsements from Washington and has a slight lead in that other congressional primary. I really had no idea, as I think I said on, on election night, Elizabeth, who would win that primary. Uh, Lisa Song Sutton, the former Miss Nevada who spent some money, and, and Jacob, uh, our reporter, found out that she had not voted uh, for, for quite some time. She finished She finished third, pretending that she had an endorsement from Donald Trump right at the end. That couldn't <laughs> uh, pull her over the top. So, uh, you know, those are the marquee races. Um, I, I think some people thought that uh, uh, in, in one of the more important races this year for state Supreme Court, that the incumbent judge, uh, uh, Douglas Herndon, would get over 50% in the primary and, and, and win it outright. He, he probably is not going to. I think he's at about 46% or so now, and he is not going to get over 50, which means he's going to have to face Assemblyman uh, Ozzy Fumo uh, uh, in, in that. And that's going to be a really interesting race to watch because of the clear contrast between a relatively conservative judge and a very liberal uh, a lawyer assemblyman. That'll be fun to watch. Only other really interesting thing, uh, Elizabeth, was, uh, and you, have, you can read about this on our site from our crack legislative team, is that some of the endorsed candidates from the caucuses, the Republican and Democratic caucuses for the legislature, did not win. Uh, the most obvious case is Roberta Lang, who was endorsed in the critical state Senate District 7 race, and she uh, appears to have lost to Ellen Spiegel, who was a sitting assemblywoman who was rejected by her colleagues. And I keep thinking about how fun those caucus meetings are, are going to be now that uh, someone won that they didn't, that they rejected. But there are several assembly candidates who won or appear to be winning that were not endorsed by the caucuses. And it just shows you that money uh, uh, and, and caucus endorsements can't buy those races still, that retail politics matters. And what's more interesting this time, we talked about this on election night, is there wasn't as much retail politicking because of the pandemic. And so most of this was done through phone calls, emails, social media. So that's, that's, that's the general contours of what I felt. Yeah, those are the broad strokes. I want to mention, and speaking of the interns, because they did most of this work, we were able this time with their help to cover more local races than we usually do in terms of doing a preview and tracking. Reno City Council and Clark County City Council, which we normally would have done, are in the mix, but we also covered races in Carson City. We looked at Douglas County Commission. We looked at both uh, the Board of Education on a statewide basis and the two boards uh, in both of the urban counties. Uh, sorry, rurals, we, we want to do more coverage in the rurals, but it's we have such a small team. Uh, it is, it's very hard for us to do even what we're doing. So this is my little plug to support the Indy if you can so that we can expand our coverage into more local governments, including uh, the rurals. We did though, John, and I want to spend a couple minutes on this for anyone who has been living under a rock and may have missed it. Um, for the first time, we did some stuff on judicial races on the site, on, on our election page. So just talk for a minute about why that was important to you to do 
uh, maybe a little bit of the type of feedback we've gotten and then what, what we're looking to do uh, as we head towards the general election in those judicial races. Yeah, this judicial project, again, is something that we're very proud of at the end and in, in that we devoted an entire page to uh, a long questionnaires that judicial candidates and incumbents were asked to fill out. And about 60% of them did fill them out. They're very detailed. We got a lot of feedback from people who generally have no idea who they're voting for for judges uh, because they're, they're either just basing their vote on soundbite campaigns or name recognition as opposed to qualifications. We made that available and I'm hoping people used it. I, I'm still going to tally up uh, Elizabeth, how many uh, uh, candidates and judges did poorly based on not filling out that survey, which really bothered some people. So uh, I don't know what that result is, but we're going to do even more for the general. I'm very, very proud uh, of, of, of providing that kind of information for people. I'm hoping that it's even more in-depth for the general. Uh, we'll have assessments and analysis, and we'll look in-depth into cases with uh, help from our great partners at the Boyd School of Law at UNLV, the, who, have, who have graciously uh, agreed to cooperate with us and partner with us on, on this. One quick thing that you mentioned that I should have mentioned was with those local government races, there's a couple things worth mentioning. Uh, one is, of course, the fact that uh, uh, Mr. Owen Six, Danny Tarkanian, uh, the perennial candidate, actually has a chance uh, to win a Douglas County Commission seat. He only moved to Gardnerville about a year ago or so, I think. And I can't believe you can move into a community and win a local board seat. Uh, but Danny may, may accomplish that. He's 11 votes behind, I believe, in the latest tally from Douglas County. And so he has a chance to win that. But the really interesting result is up in Reno, where Jenny Breckis uh, is a very controversial figure on that council, not liked by the mayor who endorsed another candidate. That candidate, though, finished third, is not going to be in the runoff. But Jenny Breckis, uh, and, and, and I think you have the numbers in front of you, you can uh, 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 tell the exact numbers. I don't think she got more than 40% of the vote uh, and maybe only in the mid-30s. Uh, to, 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 she's going to be in first, but she's going to have a runoff against a, a person who's part of a longtime Reno family. And those runoffs can be very different than the, than the uh, um, uh, primary. The one thing that's changed in Reno is they used to have to run in the district uh, in the primary and then citywide uh, in the general. They changed that. So now it's just in the district, which I think helps Breckis. But, but there are going to be a lot of money, a lot of forces arrayed against her and a lot of money spent against her. If you have those results, Elizabeth, uh, she got 40%, something like that? I'm Unfortunately, or fortunately as the case may be, our results page has every single race in the state on it, and it's not all in order. So I'm scrolling right now to try to well, see I'm, 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 I'm sure I'm right that she got, that she got about 40%. I think that's about right, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, uh, I, I guess uh, the, the one thing I would say is that uh, we do have almost every single race in the state all the way down to, and I didn't even realize this until today, Elizabeth, when I was calling races and putting the green check marks there, something called the Soil Conservation District in a small rural county. First of all, why is that an elected position? Secondly, <laughs> what does the Soil Conservation District do? I think this is a job that Daniel Rothberg should either run for or were right about at some point. That's right in his wheelhouse. Um, what the one that got me along those lines, it's funny that something stuck out to me too along those same lines. It's called the Topaz Ranch Estate General Improvement District. 
which I have literally no idea uh, where that is or what I know what a general improvement district is that that's about as far as I can um, tell you there. Yeah, really, really um, interesting. Some of these teeny tiny little local races. It would be so much fun to dig into these. I think at some point, if we if we ever have the time. John, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, for a couple of weeks up to the uh, up to election day, you were tracking the numbers. Was there anything in there in terms of broad strokes that caught your attention, either in Clark or Washoe, the rurals? What what, what were you noticing as you were reporting the the returns? I guess what I'd say is just the, the volume was very large, which showed to me that people really did like voting by mail. And I wonder how that's going to carry over into the general election. I mean, it's going to end up being, as I said, 440, maybe 450,000 people voted. There are 1.6 million voters in, in the state, uh, or, or give, give or take. And so usually absentee mail balloting is a very small part of the turnout, but because of the pandemic and the mostly mail balloting, it is, it is, it is, it is going to be, you know, obviously 90, 95% of the turnout. I'm wondering, even if we have a normal uh, in-person voting uh, in November, and by the way, I hope we do, because that'll mean that we're relatively disease-free, or at least it's contained, how many people are just going to say, I really like voting by mail, I'm going to do it again? Uh, so the most significant thing to me was the turnout, which ended up being a little shy of 30%, which doesn't sound like much to normal people listening here. But for a primary in Nevada, that's a lot. Yeah, it sure was. All right, John, thank you for your thoughts on that and everything, uh, as always. And I uh, look forward to uh, doing at least a four-hour election show with you in November. With results. <laughs> Hopefully. This week, and for the first time ever, the state of Nevada held an election almost entirely by mail. It came as election officials looked to comply with social distancing requirements mandated by the governor, as the state continues to grapple with the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. But it wasn't an all-mail election, as we've seen in some other states. Instead, election officials set up a limited number of in-person voting sites for people who did not, could not, or would not vote by mail. And at those sites, the lines quickly ballooned, the wait dragged on for hours, and the last voters in Las Vegas didn't cast their ballots until early Wednesday morning, roughly six hours after polls had closed. Nevada Independent interns Savannah Strott and Tabitha Mueller were at some in-person voting sites on Tuesday, and they joined me now to break down just what happened. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us, Jacob. So Savannah, let's start with you. So you talked to some voters in Las Vegas. You were with them in line. Uh, What did they have to say? Yeah, so I was at the Paradise Recreation Center in Las Vegas, which is right by uh, McCarran Airport. And so there was a lot of people there. I got there early in the morning. And when I got there, there was already a line out of the door. Um, And, you know, once you got inside the building, there was more of a line there, too. Um, in, a, in the next two hours, it had gone way out of the door and had wrapped around the sidewalk and had gone down the street. Um, and so from what I got from a lot of the people that I talked to was there was some there was different reasons why people were there voting. Um, a lot of the voters expressed, um, first of all, that they just kind of forgot to update their registration or they forgot to fill in their ballot. I talked to one man who who came with his ballot. He just didn't know he needed this envelope. Um, with his signature on it, so he decided to wait in line. Um, But there was also a decent amount of voters who came because they didn't trust the paper ballot system. I talked to one voter who who said he just didn't, 
he didn't want to do a paper ballot. He was worried that somebody would open it um, after he mailed it in and they would kind of follow the rules on changing the vote by opening it and crossing it out, um, whatever he voted for, whoever he voted for, and choosing whatever they wanted. Um, and so he wanted to do a machine, but Clark County didn't have any machines. If you came to vote in Clark County, you just came and did the paper ballot and dropped it in the box um, when you were done. So he was very disappointed when he came and waited in line and and when he ended up voting he didn't see a machine he had to do the paper ballot which he kind of mistrusted anyway from the start so he was very disappointed with that and as i was there i heard one woman she dropped a ballot into the box um, and as she was leaving she said let's hope they don't burn the ballot box kind of implying a mistrust of the paper you know it's paper people could you know burn it um and so there was a lot of those fears expressed um a lot of them were conservative voters that I talked to who you told me that they just didn't trust um, the system. And one one voter told me that it was the only way that Demo- he thought that Democrats um, were trying to win. And that's an interesting accusation, considering our secretary of state who handles elections is a Republican. Yes, yes. Um, it wasn't clear whether he knew that or not. Um, but yeah, other than that, I had there was a lot of voters there who were who were very dedicated to voting. I mean, like you said, there was some long lines, some long wait times, and so um, I met some people who had. In the morning, it was only three hours, and I know it got longer as the day went on. But I I talked to a man in line who had just gotten there ten minutes ago, and I was like, I've told him, I was like, hey, some of the people I talked to earlier said that they've waited three hours. Are would you wait three hours to vote, or would you, you know, is there a time limit for you to get out of line? And he said, no, I'll I'll stay all day if it takes, if it if that's what it takes. And so um, I I left before he did. So. I think he did put his ballot in the box, but a lot of people showing mistrust in the system, but a lot of people really dedicated to voting in person. Okay, so Tabitha, you were in Reno. What did the scene look like there? Yeah, I think Reno had, the line wasn't as long in Reno from what I from what I was seeing in terms of comparisons between Washoe County and Clark County. Uh, I will say that Washoe County had only one voting site that people could come to, and that was a concern from a lot of voters Sort of like what Savannah just said, a lot of voters mistrust the system or in some cases uh, had registered when they were 17 and couldn't receive their ballot in the mail. So they had to go vote in person because they had just turned 18. Um, And so it was interesting because there to me, the people I talked to, it seemed sort of split along party lines in some ways, whether there was a distrust of the system, uh, whether they were voting in person because they had lost their ballot or something had happened to it. or just never received it. Uh, and so that was that was something that I kept thinking about um, after that event. But the one thing I did notice that was really interesting in terms of Washoe County is there were people there um, monitoring the line, checking it. Everyone was fine with waiting. I think when I was there in the afternoon, it was about an hour wait, 45 minutes to an hour. That extended out as the day went on. Uh, but it closed earlier than than Clark County had. Okay, so yeah, I'm actually curious about the mechanics of that. And so in in Reno, um, they actually used some technology, right, versus the paper ballots everywhere else. Can you explain that a little bit? So most every other county, so there's 17 counties in Nevada, and all of the counties had paper ballots that people could fill out when they got to the site. Uh, However, Washoe County was the only county that had a an in-person voting machine. Um, And so voters could come in and use the machine, um, which sort of let them have that traditional experience that they might be used to. And that was just a county decision. I think that they wanted to keep people 
that was just a county decision. They wanted to keep people sort of uh, just have that as an option if that's what they wanted. And many of the voters were really glad to have that. I know there was one voter who said that he would have been even more distrustful had the machines not been there. Um, and one thing that I did want to note is when people walked in to cast their ballot, they all had to wear masks. It was a requirement. For people not wanting to wear masks, they would bring out the paper ballots to them so they could fill them out outside. But there was one gentleman who refused to fill out a paper ballot because he didn't trust the paper ballot at all and insisted on going in voting in person without wearing a mask. And so the county staff had to clear out the entire building or the entire room where people are voting and then let him come in. He voted. They washed down that voting machine, sanitized it, and then he left. Wow. And and so that's a big contrast then to Las Vegas, where, like you mentioned, Savannah, it was literally just taking the normal mail-in ballot, filling it out in person, and then handing it to the uh, election staff. Is that correct? Yep, that that's correct. And I think the mask thing that you mentioned, Tabitha, is really uh, it's really interesting because one man, I was wearing my own mask and one voter as he was leaving the building, I asked to talk to him and he he said he wouldn't because I was wearing a mask. So in Clark County, they weren't uh, they weren't enforcing masks. Um, there was a lot of people without masks and some of them were very against it anyway. And one thing I do want to say about the mask is people were allowed to they didn't have to wear masks outside just as soon as they walked in the building and they had disposable ones to hand out and people were checking temperatures before they walked into the building. And those are, those are county employees checking temperatures? Mm-hmm. Yeah, county employees and and all of them were yeah on staff that day. So with all this uh, stuff, with the logistics of getting this done by mail and the time of the pandemic and all that, um, there have been a lot of criticisms by both parties um, over exactly how this was carried out. And we've seen this nationwide. Obviously, there have been lots of discussions in Georgia um, uh, about the sort of partisanship of elections. And in Nevada, those discussions are different, but still present. Um, So I was hoping we could dig into that a little bit. So Tabitha, you uh, have looked into into this a little bit. And what what have been those partisan responses in Nevada to the way that this election was carried out. So, I mean, I think you saw it on both sides. There was kind of a, this is the first time that we've really done a mostly all mail-in system. And I think that people were worried about voter fraud. They're concerned about voters not being counted, people not receiving ballots, maybe a mistaken ballot or two in the mail. I know that there were a couple of lawsuits that reporter Riley Snyder um, researched and, and wrote up. And so... It, it's been really interesting to kind of follow the criticisms. And Trump, President Trump also critiqued uh, the Nevada decision to have a mail-in ballot. But one thing that I found interesting that you mentioned earlier, too, is that it was a Republican, uh, the Secretary of State, who made that decision to ultimately move to a mail-in system because of the coronavirus. Right. And we should say, too, that the original decision was to have an all-male election, but there were concerns raised by Democrats that that would disenfranchise some people who could not vote by mail. Um, And then the Democrats later complained, as we saw this week, that there were not enough in-person sites and that had there been more, there would be fewer lines and and fewer headaches. We saw that at Washoe County, too, where multiple people said, I wish that we had more than one site because this is getting backed up and we could move it along faster. It's also that accessibility, right? If you live out in Incline or you live out further away from Reno, it can be really hard to get into town on, you know, on a weekday to vote in person. 
So with all this in mind, I guess that leads that uh, to my next question, which is the November election. Um, a lot of this feels like it may have been a dry run, just in case uh, that if the pandemic really drags in into the fall and into November, that we're going to have to deal with this when we're dealing with a general election and a contentious presidential election on top of that. Um, so what was the sense that you two got from the way that election officials and voters thought about that this might extend beyond Tuesday's election? So I think from what I saw from voters, I think from what I saw from voters was a lot of them, a decent amount, I mean, aside from people who kind of mistrusted the system, um, there was some people who told me that they preferred it better, you know, at least being able to drop off your drop off your ballot. Um, and they preferred that um, rather than waiting in line to vote either early or on election day. Um, and I think what this election, from what I saw from the people in Las Vegas, it really, I think this was kind of like you said, like a, it was a dry run. It was an educational kind of time. I think like that man I talked about who didn't know that it was going to be in Clark County, um, a paper ballot, whether you did it at home or you did it at in sight and waited for hours. So I think that as far as the general, I think for voters, it, this was more of like an educational kind of, oh, this is how we're going to do it. So if it does end up being the same system or the same way in November, I would think that there would be a little less hiccups, um, but maybe there will be more because, as we know, not as many people vote in the primary as they do in the general. And so maybe the people that didn't vote in the primary, um, you know, they, they're not going to know and we'll see these hiccups repeat in November. I know, too, that a lot of people that I've spoken to have appreciated the mail-in option. Uh, I lived in Oregon for a little bit, and so we always had a mail-in prime, like it was always mail-in voting. Um, and so for me, the in-person voting was different as soon as I moved to Nevada. Um, but a lot of people, I think, appreciate the convenience of the mail-in voting, but they like having those voting locations if they want to come in person. And and. Washoe County had a call where they were kind of debriefing with reporters and the media about what had happened and sort of their take on it. And from what they said is they're planning on having it as no a normal voting system in in November. Um, so I don't think that they're too, I don't think that they are focusing on re-implementing this in November. I think that they are planning on having a regular election or a regular voting process. Well, we'll have to wait and see. But for now, thanks so much for joining me, you two. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. All right, and so we have made it to the last segment of the podcast, the, the fun segment, and we're back to talking about movies. And I am joined uh, by editors John Ralston and Elizabeth Thompson, who were just on the first segment of the podcast. So uh, welcome back to the third segment, and we're going to talk about uh, Bad Education, an HBO movie. Yeah, so I just, uh, let me set it up for people who haven't seen it or need a reminder. So this is based on a true story. It happens on Long Island in a high school. Uh, a superintendent and his assistant essentially uh, in the beginning of the movie are getting all kinds of credit for the great success that this school has reached. Uh, everyone loves them, students, parents alike. And then things take a turn based interestingly enough to me on the curiosity of a student journalist who <laughs> starts asking uh, some questions. The principal, uh, which I think he lived to regret, encouraged her to follow her instincts and don't take no for an answer. Uh, and so she started digging into school records and budgets and nosing around and asking for files. 
Uh, I'm going to avoid giving away the spoiler as I sometimes do uh, during these conversations because I forget. But Hugh Jackman uh, played the role of the uh, the principal, Frank Tassone, and Allison Janney, who I'm sure she's been in some things since, but I remember her from West Wing, um, that role that she uh, played. She was the assistant uh, principal. And Ray Romano uh, was in the movie as well, which is kind of interesting, playing a very low-key uh, type of character, set, which I thought was uh, just kind of out of uh, out of the norm for him, so to speak. So, so that's what it was all about. John, what, what did you what did you think? How do you rate the movie? Uh, I rate it very highly. I, I, I thought it was just an absolutely fascinating uh, character study, or you can say two character studies, and just a slice of life. And, and some of the, some of it just seems so real. The way that the parents behaved, the way that the board of the school board behaved. Uh, I think Ray Romano was the head of the school board, uh, if I remember correctly. I, I, I saw it about a month ago or so now. Uh, it, it seems like I've read a little bit about the, the the real story, and they did change some things as they usually do in, in this, and took some dramatic license, but uh, the. the the, the actress who played the, uh, the, the, the student journalist was uh, fantastic, too. I thought she was great and so believable. But I have to tell you, as good as Allison Janney was in this, and, and she was superb, and, and the only thing I really remember her vividly in, besides the West Wing, and I was not a huge West Wing fan. Let's not get into this debate uh, <laughs> today. But, but uh, it, I think it was called Tanya. She, was, uh, she played uh, uh, Tanya Harding's mother. Oh, yeah. I think she was nominated for an Oscar for that. She was just unbelievable in that movie. She was, Am I right, Joey? She, yes, but she was also in my, my – I feel like I bring it up in every movie segment, and I'm sure you haven't watched the movie yet, but my favorite movie of 2018, The Meyerowitz Stories by Noah from Noah Baumbach, who did the Mar Marriage Story, she played the sister in that. She was fantastic. Oh, I, I still have to watch. It. I love. I love Noah Baumbach. <laughs> I swear to God, I bring up Meyerwood stories in every movie conversation. I'm going to get to Joey's uh, review in just a second, but I just want to say one thing: as great as Allison Janney was in this, and I thought she was, Hugh Jackman's performance in this should win all the awards. I mean, I, I, I am kind of a Hugh Jackman fan. I, I don't love the guy, but I'm kind of a fan, and he's obviously a super talented guy. He can act. He can dance. He can sing all the rest of it but he disappeared into this role uh, he made himself to some extent not that attractive even though he was a guy who obviously thought he was super attractive and just he was he just was such a creepy guy from the first moment you see him and and his the behavior and disintegration in it, it is a tremendous tremendous performance and, and should win a lot of awards yeah, I thought I thought that Hugh Jackman's really good. I've also I've really I've been calling it the Romano Sans. I've really been enjoying Ray Romano and all of these movies that he's been in now. I mean, he was in um, Paddleton, if you've seen that, um, which is about uh, two guys and one of them has cancer and they kind of go on this last trip together before one of them passes away. And Ray Romano's the friend, and it's really sweet. Um, and then he was in another really good movie called The Big Sick, which I thought was really good. Um, oh, he was that, that was a great movie, The Big Sick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, starring a. Kumail but he was also Leone. in um, uh, The Irishman, and he was yeah. great in that too. He's so again, the, the Romano sans is real, and I'm I'm here I for like it. it. <laughs> I love I like it. it. Um, he was good in this great. movie. <laughs> he was very subdued. Um, and I, yeah, you're right about Hugh Jackman. Like, they made. They like, I don't know, they did something in the movie where they were like always looking really close at his skin and it was like really tight on his face. I mean, it was just really kind of bizarre looking. I thought the movie did a really interesting job in kind of conveying, at least initially, it, it seems as if Hugh Jackman's character has like, no, uh, is a noble character. He's creepy, but he has like some, he, he's a good superintendent and like he wants good for the students and how 
noble pursuits can lead to bad outcomes and, and you know, corruption within a school system. Or, or, I mean, you can look at it in politics, too. And um, so I thought that was really good. And then also the student journalist I loved because she reminded me a little bit of myself when I was a, a student journalist in high school. Um, clearly, I was not calling, uh, looking into school records, but I, I did have one story in high school that was not allowed to be published because they didn't like the way that I portrayed the school. <laughs> How funny. I have a similar story, um, and it did get published, and it caused a huge amount of controversy at my community <laughs> college. I was the editor-in-chief, and I just real quick, because it's really kind of fascinating. So I had noticed that the school cafeteria in the union building was fully staffed, very well equipped. Everything was beautiful and new and state of the art. And there were about six people a day who were eating in there. Um, And I just kept looking and checking and looking and thought, I wonder how much money we're putting into this thing because they're always crying poor, you know, the board saying there's not enough money for you know, better classrooms and better buildings or whatever. Anyway, so come to find out, it's like $6 million a year was being blown um, on a cafeteria that no one was eating in. And they did not, the dean tried to kill the story. Um, I, I went around him and did it anyway. Um, so yeah, I was definitely rooting for this girl. The more she found out in the story, I thought it was interesting. And so if you're listening and you're any kind of an aspiring journalist, uh, or if you're a school board trustee and you're being tempted right now to um, maybe <laughs> siphon off a little bit for yourself, watch this movie. Any uh, any closing thoughts, John? Are you? Uh, uh, I, I could I could tell you stories about being on my high school or college newspaper. <laughs> but I was essentially just a flack for the sports teams. I just wanted to get into the games and watch. So I didn't expose I didn't expose anything. <laughs> well, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll have a high school journalism. Uh, uh, segment, fun segment next week or something where we all reminisce about a fun story that we wrote. But um, would be thank fun. you guys for joining I'd actually, me. I, yeah, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you, Joey. I'd no, like to hear from the reporters uh, about what they made because I think most of them did write for either their high school or their college newspapers. I, I think that might be fun. A great idea Jacob, for a segment, Joey. Jacob was the editor in chief of the uh, Sagebrush at UNR. So. That's right. Thanks. And for I, I worked under him. <laughs> so. All right. Well, thank you guys. Yeah. Thanks for uh, joining me to talk about movies and we'll, uh, we'll be back next week with more interesting journalism stories. I'm sure. Thanks, Joey. Thanks, Joey. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. And thanks to John Ralston, Elizabeth Thompson, Savannah Strott, and Tabitha Mueller for being on the show this week. If you like what you heard, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you get podcasts. Make sure to leave us a rating and review there as well, as it helps the show grow and get more information out to as many listeners as possible. And of course, if you have comments, criticism, praise, or want to suggest a segment or person for us to interview, you can email us at jacob at theenvyindy.com or joey at theenvyindy.com. People with Bodies wrote our original theme song, and you can find more of their music on Spotify or Bandcamp. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.